Okay. Um, okay, good morning. I want to talk about, I really want to talk about this manure that's hanging over here on top of the, the Chazen Stender. And what it has to, what do you say? With the spelling mistake. I want to talk about that manure, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to take us a while to get there. And I want to first share a very, very random racist ideology that exists in the world and what it might have to do with this Moira. Um In the early 1900s, like 1910, 1920, 1930, there was a, um, an ideology in the USSR and Russia that believed in mysticism for Goyim. It believed in all sorts of Kabbalists and Sphiris. And there was all these, like, it was like a crossover between mathematics and science and racism and shtusim, all mixed into one. And there was this whole school of Russian, like, uh, intelligentsia, Russian, Russian, uh, the smart people, all the, the scientists and the chshuvim, who had this whole philosophy of, uh, of mysticism, esoteric mysticism that they believed in and how it ran the world. Adkadekach, that you could, you could look now, still today, there's something called esoteric Nazism, which basically believes that Hitler was some... A lot of it is like similar to the Aserah Sashvatim and the Sambatian and Fumashiachs. And a lot of it you'd see very similarities to, to things you've heard or, or been exposed to in your life. But there's something called esoteric Nazism, where Hitler was one of the Gugulum of Mashiach and there's more of them coming and he was misunderstood and, and etc. There's people today in Russia still, there's a, a, a big Putin backer in the war with Ukraine. His name is uh, Alexander... Gogin, I think. His daughter was blown up in a, in a car bomb in Moscow a few years ago, a few months ago, a few years ago. He's a big believer in this philosophy. It was a popular philosophy that existed in the early 1900s. Now, one of the main, uh, you say this, of the philosophy was that there was once a country or a civilization called Hyperborea. Hyperbora. Hyperbora was like a super sophisticated civilization that existed already. They may even have had nuclear power, they might have had phones, they might have had watches. There's lots of like, uh, different conspiracy theories about it. And this you know, marvelous civilization existed thousands of years ago before the rest of the world caught on. Then something terrible happened and the civilization disappeared. Some sort of uh, nuclear accident happened and the civilization disappeared. And they disbanded into two small groups. One of them went to Mongolia or Tibet and one of them went elsewhere. And a lot of these scientists were doing similar to like, people who go on uh, Aserah expeditions. We're going on expeditions to try to track down the, the missing tribe, the missing civilization of Hyperborea. The, they went to the Mongolian steppe. It's a very inhospitable climate, and they would try to find them. And one of the main, like, riots that they had, that this existed, is that the, they would buy rocks. Amber is like a, a type of, like, old rock that preserves, um, it preserves, like, fossils in it. And the bugs that were preserved in the amber that they were buying were bugs that could only live in a warmer climate. And as far as the Russians knew, it was cold, you know, from them to that direction. So they assumed there must have once been a civilization that had a different climate, that was able to host different species. All sorts of, it's, it's, it's a crazy conspiracy theories. Besaykh, this conspiracy theory, is obviously the one that Jews were involved in Hyperborea, and Jews ran the world, and Jews have, uh, still have secret symbols and secret ways to attach themselves to this old civilization, to this old society, to control the world with it. Now, one of the, the big uh, proponents of this philosophy, of this thing, was a guy by the name of Alexander Burdenchenko. He was a professor, a guy, a regular guy. He was a professor at the, the St. Petersburg University in Moscow in the 1920s. 
And he had a huge marach, he had lots of uh, ideas, philosophies. He made several trips to Mongolia to try to find these people. He was an you know, interesting fellow. He really believed in this, in, in this uh, whole philosophy very deeply. Now, in, in um, 1925, he reaches out to the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, the Riyats, and he sends him uh, 300 ruble, which was a lot of money, together with a letter, asking him if you could please take the time to share with me the special powerful secrets that are hidden in the Mug and David symbol. And by Mug and David, he meant the inverted star, the six-cornered star that, that's now on the Israeli flag. It wasn't on the Israeli flag yet. That's now on the Israeli flag. He sent him money and he said, if you could please explain to me, Alpi Hasidus and Kabbalah, what type of secrets and power is hidden in this, in this symbol? Because I've become aware that there's, there's great mystical power hidden in the symbol and it connects to these ancient societies that no longer exist. And uh, I come in peace, I want nothing from you, and as a show of goodwill, here's money, if you could please just, just explain it to me. And the Riyats who lived under communist Russia, after 1918, Russia became communist, and he was being watched closely. So he was, he was terrified. He didn't know what this could be about. He says, he writes, the Riyats crowd that has a, a, like a book, Safer, that he wrote, about his uh, tkufa in the USSR, in, under communist Russia, and in it he writes, when I got this 300 ruble, I became terribly fearful that this was a setup of some kind and something bad would come from this. He says, I mailed back the 300 ruble to Alexander Bodenchenko without even deducting money for the post. I mean, it cost me five ruble to mail it back to him. I mailed it back. I paid for post out of my own packet. They shouldn't be able to say that I, I took anything, I did anything. I mailed it right back to him, he says. He says, over the next uh, few weeks and months, Bodenchenko writes him again, impassioned plea, many letters, impassioned pleas that... I come in peace, I want nothing from you, I'm not trying to set you up, I'm not trying to do anything, I just want to know what the secret is, until finally, after a few months, the, the Riyats, uh, you know, uh, is masking, and he says, but I don't write Russian, I don't know how to write Russian, so I'm going to put you in touch with my son-in-law, the future seventh Rebbe of Lubavitch, and this is why we have some of these letters preserved, in Chabad's vast library of Igris Kedish, we have a lot of these letters preserved, He's able to read and write Russian. And you'll ask me whatever questions you want. I'll discuss with him the relevant passages in Hasidus or Kabbalah. He'll translate them into Russian and he'll send them to you. And during that whole time, that whole correspondence, um, Alexander Bodenchenko sent a small stipend. Not, nothing, uh, not a big bribe, a small stipend to pay you know, administrative fees. That it costed that he was getting, like a, he was treating uh, the, the, the rabbi as like a research library. So he was paying him a small fee to use him as a research library. Now, ultimately, he, he sends him his questions about the significance of the Mug and David, the inverted stars, to which the Riyats replies to him that it is of no significance. It comes from nowhere, he says. It has no meaning. It's certainly not uniquely Jewish. And it's, it's nothing. You're barking up the wrong tree. You've become convinced of a delusion that has nothing to do. He says, the Riyats writes, it's interesting, he writes, I'm not a Veltz Tamut Chachum, he says. But Hasidus, I know a little bit, and Hasidus is Kabbalah. So in Hasidus and Kabbalah, I can tell you that there's, no, there's nothing here. There's no special meaning to this, uh, to this symbol, this Mug and David that you're asking me about. Eventually, Bodenchenko persists. He says, I know you don't always tell the truth to, to non-Jews. You're protecting the secret. He finally agrees that, um, that there's nothing here and, and uh, there's nothing to be gleaned from the Riyats about the significance of the Mug and David. Now, this story has two, two endings. They're not really relevant to us, but just the Lahash Lamadvarim. 
1936, um, Joseph Stalin has a great purge where he purges all, uh, you know, doctors and professors, uh, anyone who he thinks is counter-revolutionary could lead the people not buying into the full communist ideology. And amongst them, Alexander Burchenko is brought to, is brought to prison and uh, has a mock trial and a sentence to death and is unceremoniously executed by gunshot in 1938. We have his mugshot, like from when he was brought to prison, and he's killed for, his, uh, for these hashkafas, for these ideas of hyperbora and uh, all these you know, uh, crazy ideas that he has. Now, in 1927, in July of 1927, the Riyaz is arrested. The sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe gets arrested. Now, this is not unique to Chabad for the Rebbe to get, get arrested. It's very common. But a lot of them were, were, were mastered on, some of them even by, uh, by our people, you know, by, by the non-Hasidim. But uh, the Riyaz was hauled in based on some lapsed Chabad Hasidim, some former Chabad Hasidim who became part of the Yeskevtsia, the, you know, the Russian uh, religious police. And they haul him in and they give him a whole long rap sheet of charges. They, they bring him in. They, they don't let him take any stuff. They search his house. He writes it in, in great, great detail. If anyone's interested, you could read it. He, he writes the story of his arrest and his trial and his interrogation. But Baini Baini, in the, in the charging documents that the Russian government brings against him, this is the part that was interesting to me. The, the, the guy who was, who was interviewing him was a, for, was a Jew, a not from Jew. His name was Lulav. Actually, and he writes, to, he, the, the Riyats writes this down. He says, what is this correspondence that you have with Bordenchenko about Hasidus? You're obviously trying to sow Hasidus and teach the Russian population about Hasidus to try to overturn the revolution. That's clearly what you're doing. So the Riyats responds, he says, in regards to the correspondence with Bordenchenko, he somehow was of the opinion that the Magen David symbol expressed profound Kabbalistic concepts and the mastery of this knowledge would be a source of great power. He says, somehow Bernchenko became convinced that the Magen David is able to unlock, uh, you know, nuclear fission. It could do who knows what. He says, four years ago during Sukkot, he turned to me as an authority in Kabbalah and requested that I, re- that I reveal the esoteric meaning of the Magen David. I tried to convince him that he, had, that he had succumbed to an illusion, for nothing is to be found in Hasidus about the great power inherent in the Magen David. Empty-handed, he continued to send me until finally I instructed my son-in-law and he says, I wrote to him, there's nothing here, there's nothing here, and I want nothing from him. And then later on, he brings, the, in this book, they, they found the, the interrogation documents that the Russian government became public many years later, made public from the NKVD, and it's a, a, a very exact description of the conversation, where they ask him about his conversation, his seditious conversation with Baranchenko, and he says it was nothing, it was about a Magandavid, it was about an illusion about a Magandavid that doesn't exist. And I, they ask him, so why did you take money from him? What's the money? No, he insisted on sending me money to pay for my time and effort as research, but there's nothing here. I promise you there's nothing here. So now, Shema Taimar, that the Riyats is saying there's nothing here in the Magen David just uh, because there's taka so much here in the Magen David, and he didn't want to share it with uh, Berenchenko. So it's Pavos that the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe, was very mocked with that no Chabad Shul anywhere in the world could have a Magen David. He said it's not a Jewish symbol, it's nothing, leave it alone, it doesn't belong here. So the, he taka held like this, Bizim uh, Saif. So, so where taka does does the does does a symbol called the Mug and David come from? Does the idea of a Mug and David being a symbol come from? So, Lemaisa, there is no real source it, from from Jewish sources that say that a Mug and David is special to us. You could find if you look in ancient architecture, you'll find Mug and Davids in Islam. You'll find them in Christianity. You'll find them in Jews. It's a very pleasing mathematical shape when you invert, you know, two triangles. It creates a lot of. Uh, parallel shapes, it's pleasing, and it was something that was commonly used in different architectural motifs, like throughout the world. 
the, the way it became, you know, more popular to Jews is because in the 1300s in Prague, the kahila was allowed, they got permission from the king to have their own flag. And for whatever reason, they chose on the flag that the symbol should be a Magen David. And therefore, Magen David became associated with European Jews. And when different rulers of Jews wanted to make Jews, you know, stamp themselves like Hitler and wear a, a symbol, a mark, they chose the star. So the yellow star became the six-pointed star, and when the Zionists were looking for a symbol that was associated with Jews, they chose the star. And ultimately, by now, it just became a symbol that's associated with Jews, although it, it carries no special meaning. It doesn't mean anything unique or special to Yiddishkeit. So, so what is the actual Magen David? What is the real Magen David? So now, first of all, when we sit, mo- most of the time when it says Magen David in, in Psukim or Nevi'im or in Tefillah, Magen David refers to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's not an object. It refers to Hashem. Hashem is the Magen David. Hashem is the protector of David HaMelech. It doesn't refer to an object. It refers to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But there are, there is a, a mascaris that it's referred to as an object. And that's why I want to talk about this Menorah. So let, let's, let's, let's start this way. And this is what it has to do with Svir Saimer. The Shulchan Aruch and Simen Tav brings down the whole Seder of Svir Saimer. How one is supposed to count it. Now, after Narod, there's a Magen Avram. It's one line at the end of the Magen Avram. The Magen Avram says, Yesh noeg in Leimar, Mizmer Aleikim Yechenenenu, Yechenenenu Achar Asfiru. There is a minig, he says, to say the capital of Aleikim Yechenenenu after Asfiru. Now, if you read that, the capital that's in there is the capital Samach Zayin in Tehillim, which is the capital of Aleikim Yechenenenu. That's the capital that's in there. Now, the Magen Avram brings it as just a cryptic line, Yesh Emu to say Aleikim Yechenenenu, without going into detail about the, the way it's set up, the tzura, the meaning. He doesn't talk about all, just one line, a throwaway line, Yesh Emu. Now, the, the Chok Yaakov, Afenorot, and Hilchasvir Saimer, is very troubled by this. He brings down this Magan Avram, he says, Noyigin Lamer, Lekim Yechenenenu, Vekein Kasav Magan Avram, Vechadashim Mikarav Bo. People doing new things have showed up on the scene, Vedfisu Nusach Asvir Al Pisayd, Vekavanas Asviris. They've instituted saying Svir Saimer with Kavanas and say this, Kaygavan about Kafash of Lulav, the same thing that they do by Akafas with Lulav. He says they've added all sorts of tefillas and meanings and cheshbonis and, and things to Tzvir Saimer and to Lulav. He says it's uh, he says uh, it's he says uh, and this meaning became very very public and well known in the eyes of the simple people. As if anybody who wants to come engage in in like kabbalistic. Shemus could just come and do it. It's no covet for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to have foolish people engaging in kavanas and things that they don't understand, says the Chaksiyakiv. The covet for Hashem is to keep this hidden. And then he brings a tshuva from the Marshal, the Marshal famously in Tshuva Tzadik Chas, we've actually quoted a snippet of it a different time, goes on a whole, you know, how uh, Kabbalah is not for the masses, etc., etc. So the Chaksiyakiv was very troubled by this addition, this institution of adding Alekim Yuchenenenu to Svir Saimer. Likewise, the Goyen and Maiserav, the Goyen writes, they, they write very clearly that the Goyen was Makbid. Svir was said simply. He said the Bracha with the Svira, with the Hirats and Shibana Vesemekdash, and nothing more. That was the Goyen's Minigan Svir because the Goyen held, this is not for everyone. This is not, these uh, Kabbalistic additions are not for the Hamoinam to say by Svira. Now, the Archasholchan Lamashal, who's much, much later, he writes almost kind of wistfully. He brings the Magan Avram, he brings the rebuttal from the Chakyakiv. And then he writes, but the Achshav, and the Minig is to say it, like uh, the, that ship has sailed. The Aruch HaSholchan writes, like the ship has sailed. The Minig, Quran, it is what it is. Same Meshabur, Meshabur again brings it without any 
vitriol, no negativity. Mishabur brings the minig, there's a minig to say it, and that's it. Because by the time Mishabur and the Rosh Hashanah were writing, this minig was already, was already well instituted, and there was no, it was out. That's it, the minig was out. The cat was out of the bag. Now, so, so the Magan Avram doesn't bring a source. He just says, Yesh Noyigin Leinah. Now, for the longest time, the earliest source that the Eilam knew of, that was considered the source was this, was from the Akedah. The, the Akedah's Yitzchak is a Sefer. It's written on Chumash, but it's Be'etzim a Sefer that has like everything in it. It's, it's a cumbersome Sefer. It's hard to use for this reason because it's written on Chumash with Anafim and Simanim. But the Akedah is like a quasi-Rishen, I guess. The Akedah lived right at the end of, of Spanish Jewry. He actually was kicked out of Spain in uh, 1492. He travels to Italy. He dies in Italy. He writes a sefer called Akedah Yitzchak. It's a, it's a huge work. Now, in, in, incidentally, in Simon Samach Zayin in the Akedah, which is the same number as the capital, but totally a coincidence, not for that reason. In Simon Samach Zayin in the Akedah, he's the first one to bring this um, school or this Kabbalistic idea of saying this capital of Elikim Yuchaninenu after Sfira, and he explains it as follows. And I'll read you some of his words. He explains it as follows. He says the Akedah like this. He says... He says there's a, there's a, there's a, he says he has a, he, he says as follows. I have something, he says, that's Babi Kabbalah. I know this Kabbalah, it's Babi Kabbalah Liyadi. And he says it's to say this capital, Samach Zayin, after Sfira. And I'll explain to you why, he says. He says as follows. He says, These psukim, V'tzayrech ha'inyanam ha'miyuchasim el-asmoel, L'siyu ha'pulas ha'yimin, V'tzirasam ha'tavnisam, T'siyur ha'minishim ha'mizmer nechbad ha'ma'ula. This mizmer, this idea, he has, it's a whole marachi he has over there about the koiches of right and left, which maybe if we have time we'll touch on in a second. But he writes, this is all encapsulated in this capital, this mizmer of Tehillim, of Elikim Yuchaninenu, and it's written in a very special way. He says, Ha'yaminig lo'imri b'me'a sfira. There was a minig that I'm aware of to say it during the Emeas Vira, which is Tehillim Samach Zayin, Shebabi Kabbalah, Shehu Mitsuyer, I have the Kabbalah that the way it's written, and here's the, the kicker, Shehu Mitsuyer, I have the Kabbalah that the way it's written, and here's the kicker, Bimagin David Kidmus Menaira. This is the first time we have in a Sefer, referring to Magin David, it has absolutely nothing to do with the six-pointed star, it has to do with this, Shehu Bimagin David, Mitsuyer Bimagin David, Kidmus Menaira. The way this capital is written down, the school of this capital, is Metsurian and Magin David with Nusa Menorah. And he says, Shleish Shekani Menorah Mitzah three branches of the Menorah on one side, three branches on the other side, and you go downward, Alekim Yuchaninenu starts on the right, and the Psukim go down, you count them down, the Das Aretz, Shleish Shekani Menorah on the other side, and he counts them down, and you say all these Menorah, all these capital. Now says that, okay, though, why is this capital so connected to Sphira? He says, this capital has seven Psukim, like the seven weeks of Sphira. It's comprised of 49 words, like the 49 days of the Eimer. The longest capital, which is the, the middle branch of the Menorah, which is more words than the rest of them, is comprised, the longest Pasuk of the seven Sukkim is 49 words, 49 letters. Now, rather than some Nuschayis, it's not, because of a Malik Chaser problem, but it's 49 letters. So this capital is very, very bound up in the Inyanim of Sphira, in the Seydis of Sphira's Eimer. And the way to say it, he says, is Betsuras Magin David, now, the Akedah continues, he goes on a bigger richas about this, but there's a, a few nekudas just to, to, to drive this home. Aleph is that the marshal, who's the mechaber of Yam Shleima and, and, you know, Isav Heter, the marshal is, has a contrast. Today it's printed in the back of, of Shut Marshal, called Menorah Zavtar, where the marshal also brings this Menorah and brings the school at Seir Ansira and he took the time to be Mitzayir, the Menorah for us, in exactly the manner that he feels it should be. And he writes the skula of saying this Menorah 
after Sefirah Sa'imer, and he says that this Menorah, um, uh, here, I just want to read you what he says. He, he writes about the tremendous schoolists of this Menorah, the Kavanis for it. Now, you just have to just like keep in mind, the Marshal to write the schoolists of the Menorah, in my mind, maybe I'm wrong, in my mind, it'd be like a Rayashev writing a country on the right to Bendel. It's like, it's so out of left field. He's not, the Marshal is not one given to these, like, but, but clearly the Marshal felt that this schooler was a, was a big schooler that had, like, a grace of Shmiris inherent in it. And it's a, it's a school that's built on, on, on Sphere Seimer. And he also writes, he calls it, I could find it in here. He writes, um, he calls it again, the school of the Mug and David, he writes. I just have to find it for you. Um, yeah, it's in there somewhere. Uh, amongst when he discusses the, the Kavanas and the Milas of the Skula, he writes the school of the Magen David HaMatsuri and he writes more specifically that David HaMelech, he says, when he would go out to battle, had on the inside of his shield, he had these psukim written down, this capital tehillim written down in this surah like a menorah on the inside of his shield, and he would go to battle, he would look at this, these psukim or say these psukim in this special surah, and with that he was able to be menatzeach. So here you have the marshal referring to the Magen David the way we have Mug and David, like in our collective conscience, Mug and David is like a battle instrument. You know, it's not just, it's not a Kaddish Baruch the Mug and David, it's like the Mug and David, a battle instrument. But it means something totally different. It means the Menorah that David Melech had there, these Kapitel Tilm that were written inside his, inside, his, uh, inside his shield. Now, Mamash Tam, this is just uh, for interest's sake, I'll share this with you. I, it's a legend. It's hard to say, to believe it, to not believe it. The, the, for many years, the first person who was considered to be the originator of this school of Fasir Saimur was the Akeda. Now the Akeda, if you notice, I read his words out, the Akeda writes, it's Baba Kabbalah Biyadi. The Akeda writes, this is not mine. This is something I know, I'll be Kabbalah. I have a Messiah, that, uh, that this is what you're supposed to say Sefirah Saimur time. Now the Akeda lived in Spain, like we said, before the, before the Girish in 1492. He learned by Talmidim of Talmidim of the Ramban. That's his, like, say there, Messiah, his, his Rebbeim. Now the Ramban, doesn't, we don't have anywhere in writing that the Ramban discusses this school. The Ramban has plenty of Kabbalah throughout the Kisve Ramban, but he doesn't discuss this school of the, of the Menorah, the Mug and Dove in this manner. Now, in Tavshin Samach Aleph, they found the Ksavyad of the Rekeach from Germany that was never published yet. In the Rekeach from this Ksavyad that they published in Tavshin Samach Aleph, over there, the Rekeach talks about the school of the Menorah. And the Rekeach writes the same thing, the Mug and Dove, the school of the Menorah, all the calculations to say it, Ahina Her. Now, this, I'll, I'll just share this. It's a, it's a legend, the Messiah, you could call it, a legend that exists. The, the Sefer Shalshala Sakabala brings down that when the Ramban became Roy and Muxhar to start learning Kabbalah, he was living in Spain where there was no one who could teach him the, the Kabbalah and Kaidua. Kabbalah has to be, you know, Ishmi Piyish, Rabmi Pitalmud. It's not something you could teach yourself. And Kaviyachal, a heavenly PSA, went out. Is there anyone available to come teach the Ramban Kabbalah? And uh, the Reikeach, far away that he, where he was in Germany, became aware of this, uh, you know, uh, heavenly desire that the Ramban should be taught Kabbalah. And uh, the Shashal Kabbalah brings down that uh, the Rekeach's Neshama, I don't know if this is physical, the Rekeach's Neshama took on the challenge of going to travel to teach the Ramban uh, Kabbalah, and the Rekeach went and sheared the Kabbalah that he had, that he was working on with the Ramban. So even though, as far as we know, the Rekeach and the Ramban never saw each other, they lived far away from each other, maybe didn't even know of each other's existence, there is many similarities between the Kabbalah of the Ramban and the Kabbalah of the Rekeach. So there are those who suggest that, that their true origin <coughs> of this Mizmer, the Magen David, Mizmer Lekim Yechenenenu, that we say after Sfira, that's in the Tzuris and Menorah, really stems from this Rekeach that we only found out later on, that was B'Ksav Yad. 
And the, the Rebbe Tzlaka Armad, the Akeda, knew it from his Rebbeim, through the Ramban, and knew it from the Rikech. Now, I share this just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's been said. It's not mine, so I'll, I'll share it. It's been said. I, I, you know, do with it what you want. Now, now um, so, so this, uh, so this Menaira, this is like the, 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 the real, the real Magen David. Now, others, uh, there's been a country someone put out to try to find the source of the Magen David, and after knocking away everyone else's, uh, you know, Tifa Kavanas, that it has to do with six sides, or it has to do with uh, Hashem is everywhere, or it has to do with, you know, he goes through, it's rather interesting to see the, the, the things that people ascribe to the Magen David, the pointed star, range literally from being a symbol of like peace for the whole world, to being a, a battle a weapon, to being, a, like, it, it's mamish ranges because when there is no set meaning, Anybody could literally uh, come up with whatever they want in it. But the, the, the real Magen David, it seems, I'll upon him from the Rishainim, the real Magen David, the symbol Magen David that we refer to, is this Mizmer of the Menorah that, that, that David Melch had Metsoyer inside, inside of his shield. Now just one more Nakuda about this Mizmer. If you'll notice, the way we have it, I believe, over here and the way it is in most Sidurim today, is written, Elikim Yechenenen, where the Pasuk starts on the right side. The beginning of the capital starts on the right side of the, of the Menorah. If you look in the marshals that I brought here, I don't know if you'll be able to see it from there, but if you look in the marshals, the marshals of the Kim Yuchaninenu starts on the left side. Now, it's hard to know, the marshal doesn't write specifically that he believes it's supposed to start on the left side. So it could be that just the printer, you know, inverted it and wrote it that way. It's not muhach that the marshal held that way, but the Akeda spends a lot of time explaining why the mizmor of the Kim Yuchaninenu is very important that it should be written right to left. And without going into it in too much detail, he, he writes, you know, obviously in Kabbalah and Sirius, there's a big difference between the right side and the left side. And uh, the right and the, the right is supposed to be Moshe on top of the left. It's supposed to lead the left, Lev Chacham Liyaminoi, which means the Lev Chacham is supposed to lead everything the Chacham does. And therefore it's important that this Kemizmur, this capital should be written on the Kemich right to left from the right side, not like it's written in the Mashal. Now, uh, just Saif Davimir said to go back to, back to Chabad for one second, the... Chabad has a world-class library that they have in, and that they were Yerush from the previous Rebbes. In there, the, the crown jewel that Chabad has in there is a Siddur B'Ksavyad that the Baal Shem Tov used. They have the Baal Shem Tov Siddur that they got. They bought it. One of the Rebbes bought it later on. In the Baal Shem Tov Siddur, handwritten, the Mizmer of the Kimichan is right to left. The proper way, like the, the... And that, there's no printer involved. There's no printer you could say who inverted, didn't print. That's written by a Jew, handwritten. Not the Baal Shem Tov himself, but written by a Jew, handwritten for the Baal Shem Tev, and that's written right to left, the way that Akedah wants it. Grada, just once more on right and left, Rav Chaim Kanyevsky Kaidu has a contrast called Ish Iter, right, about, uh, about halachas of someone who's a lefty. It's in Mesechtas Tefillin, on his, Mesech, on, his, on his beer, on the Mesechtas Khanis, in Mesechtas Tefillin, when the halachas is brought down about Iter Yad, Rav Chaim says, like, once I'm on Iter Yad, let me talk about the Indian of right versus left for a minute. And he has like a short hakdam, it's two pages, and if Chaim doesn't, generally doesn't talk anything Kabbalistic, he has like a two-page hakdam over there, and he breaks it down into like seven or eight categories of right versus left. Like there's right versus left because of the, yeah, the, the stronger hand. There's right because of left because of nature. If you know, physical, like your heart is on the left side, and that's by all humans, and that has nothing to do with being righty or lefty. So there's like organs that are on the right side. And then he says there's right over left versus, because of Yemin Shal HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem's right side, whatever that means. He says there's right versus left because of spheres. He like, breaks it down into different categories. And it's, it's you do it. The stipulers used to tell people not to, do, not to hold their hands like this, not to interlock their hands. Where you're bringing the left and the right and you're interlocking them together, that's not appropriate. You're supposed to do right over left because right is supposed to control the left. 
So in this Kabbalistic symbol, this, this Mug and David, there's, there's a lot of, of like uh, extra zachim that I, I don't, in, in the Asik from the stars, but I just thought it's interesting to share that the, the Mug and David is l'chayr, not what we think it is, and it is the Menorah that's instituted today by Sphere, like the Mug and Avram says, and like the Rosh Hashanah writes, that today it's a minig that quote on widely. I don't know if it's so popular people say it today or don't say it, but uh, it, it's a widely dispersed minig in, in Kali Yisrael. Um... Okay, we'll hold it here. Uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>